the Farm Advisory Service podcast. Audio advice on livestock, crops and soils, environment, rural business and more. Brought to you in association with the Scottish Government. Hello and welcome to this Farm Advisory Service podcast. Uh, my name is Mark McDonald. I'm here with uh, Robert Ramsey, Mary Yang and Karen Stewart on the line. Um, Robert Ramsey is a beef specialist and Mary and Karen are both nutritionists. Robert, um, do you want to kick off by telling us um, where you're, why you wanted to do this podcast? Yeah, so this post- podcast is a part of a farm advisory service project looking at a basically planning for the a, for a feed planning for the winter. Um, we had actually planned to have a series of events around the country, but obviously with uh, coronavirus restrictions, we're not able to do that. So instead, we've got um, quite a few videos and, and online tools and articles and things uh, to actually to, to help farmers get through the winter uh, or, or give them the tools they need to, to create a, a good plan going into the winter. Um, so basically, this project uh, or this podcast today, sorry, is just really to highlight what we've done uh, as part of the project and also a few hints and tips for uh, what we can do at this stage in the year in the back end looking into the winter okay okay so do you want to do you want to tell us a bit about your background as well robert what you do day, day to day and yeah i am a, a beef consultant i started actually i was i did nine years as a general consultant in their office a and moved to be a beef consultant a, this time last year um so day to day a lot of what we're doing is uh, supporting offices uh, and for uh, basically technical queries from farmers. Uh, also do a lot of farm advisory service work um, and most of that's focused on improving efficiency of uh, beef systems across Scotland. Uh, and then in my free time, I we also come from a beef and sheep farm just on the Ayrshire Lanarkshire border. Uh, so we've got 40 suckler cows and 300 breeding ewes there too. Okay, good stuff. Uh, Mary, do you want to tell us about your background and what you do day to day as well? Yeah, um, so I'm very young, as Malcolm said. I am part of the livestock team uh, alongside Robert and Karen as well. Uh, one of the ruminant nutritionists. Um, I was based in the Edinburgh office for about four and a half years, and then recently I've just, um, as you might have heard from my accent, not Scottish, <laughs> um, I've recently moved back to Northern Ireland and I'm working remotely from for SAC from here. Um, so yeah, a lot of technical support um, for farmers and, and our advisors around the country. And also quite closely linked with our lab as well, where all our forage analysis is done and uh, feed analysis uh, and work quite a lot on our, our rationing program that we we use at SAC um, and the upkeep of that and, and advancements in that. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Thank you, Mary. Um, Karen, do you want to talk about your background and what you do as well? Yeah, that's grand. Um, I'm Karen Stewart and I'm based um, in the kind of Angus Perthshire border. I live in a farm there and I do similar work um, to Mary. Um, I've been with SAC for eight years. Um, prior to that, I was in the feed industry for a number of years as well. Um, and uh, that's about it. <laughs> It's good. Oh, it's good how you said a number of years there, Karen, so we can't know what age you are. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, dog then, Karen. Um, do you want to kind of kick things off and tell us kind of what kind of forage stocks are looking like across the country as a whole that you're seeing or <clears> hearing? 
Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, as always, I think there's a, a huge variation in, in region to region, just depending on what the weather has been. But generally speaking, um, I get the impression that forest stocks are quite good around the country. Um, I'm not sure if Robert and Mary agree on this, um, but I think you know it's uh, it's it's uh, looking okay forage wise and i think sometimes when it is looking um good forage wise we can um relax and uh, and uh, not think about it too much but I, I hope after this podcast we can encourage you that even if forest stocks are looking good things can change quite quickly weather wise and um other circumstances um we can persuade you to to take a little while to have a look at forage um stocks on your own farm yeah i think it's quite amazing actually we've got to a point that I think, as Karen says, nationally forest stocks are variable, but generally pretty good. Uh, certainly in the southwest here, we've got an incredible volume of uh, forage on most farms. Um, we certainly wouldn't have thought that in the spring. So, in, you know, May time we were in drought and first cuts were, you know, looking pretty poor. And it's uh, amazing how quick or how, how well things have bounced back. Um, and, and generally we do have pretty good stocks. But the worry here, I would say, is... It's looking like winter's coming probably quicker than we expect. There's, uh, there's actually now suckler cows housed in Ayrshire um, in the second week in September, which is probably it'll be nearly a record actually for an early housing. And it certainly seems like a long, long time till the first week in May. So it may be that a lot of that forage is needed. So just as, as Karen says, knowing what you've got is really, really important. Yeah, no, that is early. Certainly, I'm up in the north here in Inverness, and yes, forest stocks are certainly good. Um, average, if not slightly above average, which is which is encouraging as well. But this is it. We don't know when winter's going to really kick in, and we don't know how long it's going to last either. So you can never be uh, too complacent. Um, what about with you, Mary? Yeah, Sorry. I'd say in the the southeast sort of borders region, uh, there was a concern. I think that they, they were slightly lower in supplies, just as that. As Karen was saying, the weather has had quite an effect in that region. Um, over in Ireland, I would say that um, quite a similar story to what Robert's saying in the southwest, that um, stocks do seem to be quite good, but winter does appear to be coming early and, and there are folk that are bringing stock in now. Um, we, we did do a survey around our SAC offices just to as we are quite spread across Scotland, just to get an idea of what they were seeing across the offices. Um, and from that survey, a lot of people were, were suggesting that there were um, basically half the country was having average supplies um, for the coming winter and the remainder were just above average. Um, we also had a wee survey to see what the straw supplies would be like as well. And a quarter of the offices indicated about a 10% shortage or more in straw and the rest considered spice to be about average or slightly above. Um, given the increase in the price in the recent weeks, it could suggest that spies might be short in straw. That's um, what we're thinking. I, th I think the issue we had with that, the, um, that survey went out maybe a month ago when silage stocks would be known, but straw stocks were probably just estimates. Um, mm. And actually, I think now we're into harvest and things. I think that there is probably le there's certainly less straw in the country than there was this time last year um obviously a lot of crops were under drought stress and things at the at the wrong time at the the stem extension stage and things so uh, i think there's no doubt there'll be some shortage of straw in the country yeah i think there's going to be a, quite a shortage in england too they've been having a more difficult harvest than us do, do you think that will have an effect on the kind of scottish straw market the big thing when when it's a wet when it's a difficult harvest, the first thing we do is 
the first thing farmers will do is turn a straw chopper on. So there's a, there will be a lot yeah. of chopped straw. Um, and for a true arable farmer, straw in the swath is a is a real pain. It's the thing that stops you getting the next crop in. So certainly there's going to be less straw. Um, and then reports from the extreme southeast of England uh, are that they're chopping really, really low volumes of straw anyway. So anything that is being baled, there won't be many bales to make it at all. Yeah, yeah. So that might have an impact. We'll just have to wait and see. Because even though, I mean, up here, spring barley is, is well on the way now, but I'm not hearing too much about prices quite being set yet. So for us, anyway, it feels like the straw market is still yet to be yet to be seen, Mike. But uh, it's coming on now. Have you guys heard of any straw prices yet? Just locally, very similar to last year, I think. But um, I'd, I'd heard that people had... Uh, you know, quite a bit of straw in stock from last year too. So um, as you were saying, Malcolm, it's probably yet to be seen where the straw market's going to go and it's probably going to go in one direction. Yeah, I yeah. think the, the straw I've heard locally that's been traded is actually old season straw. Um, and it's been basically coming out the shed at the same price as, as it was in the spring. Um, yeah. But yeah, as Karen says, it's probably the, the trend. I don't think it's, I, I don't think we need to panic, but I think we do need to have a, an understanding and maybe start getting you know maybe do a bit of forward buying start getting some in the shed just uh, as a bit of an insurance policy um mary do you want to tell us what exactly a forage budget is and why it's so important to do one yeah i think um as we were discussing this beforehand we we're saying that people can kind of switch off when you hear the word budget it can sound like a bit of a dull job to do but I think if you have the right tools and make it as, as basic as you want it or complex as you want it to be it can be quite a quick and easy job to do before housing I, I would ideally say just start off with the basic forage budget where you're taking account of all the silage that's available on farm versus your demand um, so how many stock are you going to be carrying over the winter and how many days uh, will there be in the shed obviously we're hoping for early spring all the time, but if it does come that it's later, can, can you have enough to, to keep you through? And obviously as time goes on, you can refine and revisit your forage budget and, and factor in different feeds that you have on farm and that you're feeding once you have your rations put together. Um, so it allows you to know where you're at and basically takes a guesswork out of how much silage you have available and lets you see to see you through winter and identify any potential shortfalls that you might have early on um, rather than getting later in the season and realizing you're short or um, I just how to manage that basically uh, and takes the, the panic out. But the, the main message we want to get across is really just early planning allows you to make those changes when you're further off um, like calving for example so if you're needing to take condition off or rather than getting closer to calving and trying to make really big changes or finding out you're short of forage or you've got the poor forage left um, that could have been used earlier so just early planning can can save you a headache later on yeah yeah and save you stress later on too because when it gets later on it might be one the uh, forage might be more expensive and um and there's more yeah the cow the cow near pregnancy is more kind of delicate so it would be more potential problems just to reiterate what mary said there the forage budget thing 
mean, we probably all do a forage budget, as in you've got a rough idea how many bales there are. You know, it can be as crude as sitting down working out how many bales, you know, roughly how many bales do you use per week, and how many bales have you got? How many weeks have you got? A how how long can your winter be? And if it's going to be a you know five months. If you've got five months supply, you've got a problem, and if you've got maybe an eight month supply, you've got you know less to worry about, but also potentially an opportunity there to maybe sell some forage or to take advantage of that. So, a crude forage budget's worth doing, but also a, the more detail, the more you can put into it, the better. And and where you need to be really aware is dry matter has a huge impact on that. So, not every bale has the same amount of feed in it. I better leave that one to the nutritionist to discuss that. <laughs> but um, variation, there's a lot of variation within fodder stocks as well. Yeah, Karen, do you want to expand a bit more on that kind of uh, on the forage budgeting and um, uh, variation within forage stocks? Yeah, I think um, I think. Uh... What Robert's saying is that I suppose a lot of people would really um, have an idea of what they have for the winter and it's often done by counting up of bales and what they normally use. Um, but I think I would try and encourage people to go that one step further and, um, you know, go a bit more in depth using forage information um, and, and plan rations. Um, and, uh, you know, there's, as Robert said, there's an opportunity there for um, saving some money um, using, you know, making the best of your homegrown feeds and making sure the animals are meeting their specifications on time or, you know, the condition required at the certain times of year. And, you know, for an example of that, Robert was um, saying that dry matter is really important and a, a really wet silage, um, you know, might only feed 18 cows per bale per day, but a, a dry silage might feed nearly double that. So, um you know, there's bales and bales, it's uh, wet bales and dry bales, there's a huge difference um, on, on what it can feed per day. Um, and, and also, if you're, you know, if your feed is, um, you know, better than you were expecting, then you might need to, you know, you can use less concentrates, or if it's poorer than expecting, um, you know, you can, you can supplement it to ensure that cattle are not um, um, going to be on the farm longer than they need to be. Um, and so it's, it's taking the guesswork out of it, really. I think that's uh, an important uh, message. It's giving you some control and taking the guesswork out. Yeah, yeah, okay. So, Mary, do you want to kind of go through the process of how you start to assess forage stocks for us? Yeah, well, I suppose Karen and Robert have already kind of mentioned the importance of your your forage analysis. So that really does form the basis of your, your forage budget. So, as Robert suggested, knowing the dry matter is, is so important and um, what you can see is number of bales might not um, add up when you look at the dry matter content. So having the dry matter, but also the rest of the analysis, once you go into your full feed budget and you're drawing up rations, is really important to, to know that information. Um, and then measuring your pit as well. Um, basically, we're, we're going to be doing a series of videos as part of this um, project and getting ready for winter and, and how to measure a pit will be part of that. But it's all about just taking the, the length, height and width of, of your clamp uh, and working and taking account of the density um, depending on the dry matter of your of your silage so a, a wetter silage will tend to be denser more more packed um, we use those figures from the farm management handbook and and can put that into our forage budget as well just to work out how much silage is actually in a cubic meter um, when you are feeding out of the clamp and and as Karen and, and Robert were both saying about bales and the bale weight it can have such a variation and it might actually surprise you uh, the difference in a bale weight if it's um, quite a dry silage 
probably quite light compared to a wetter silage. We did have um, one of the SAC offices lent out some weigh scales uh, last year to their clients. And it was interesting just seeing the variation on one farm between bales. We had one farmer was measuring bales at 500 kilos to 700 kilos, uh, and that was just on one farm. Um, so quite interesting just to see how, how different the, the weights can be. Obviously not everyone has access to weigh scales, so if you can use weigh scales, ideal, but um, maybe borrowing a neighbor's mixer wagon if that's um, potential or, or using a weigh bridge if there's one close by, just um, getting the trailer on the back of the tractor, going and weighing the empty trailer, putting a couple of bales in and going and weighing it again, um, just to give you a rough guide of what those might be. Um, no, I was just going to say in the subject of bales and bales, that yeah, just colossal variation from year to year, from farm to farm, from baler to baler. It's um, yeah, it is remarkable. So I using a weigh bridge or something is probably a very good starting point to see what you've got in a heap as opposed to a number of bales because it's the variation is large. Sorry, carry on. Yeah, it will have such an effect on your forage budget um, when you're calculating that all in together as well. Um, but yeah, if you, if you have fields that are stacked by batch or by field, that's really helpful when you come to do your analysis as well. Having your, your bales marked up from which fields they've come from or, or what cut they've come from. Um, and ideally, when you're sampling for analysis, if you are taking it from bales, we would core about five different bales from the same batch uh, and then mix it together and send that for analysis. But your analysis is only good as your sample is really. So making sure that you are sending something representative to the lab. Across the pit, we generally try and take about 10 to 12 samples in the sort of W shape to talk about and then um, avoiding any areas that have, you know, visible mold or, you know, bits that aren't going to be fed to the animal because that's not going to be representative of of what you're feeding. Um, so face samples are quite good because they give a better indication of, of what's actually in front of the animal when they're eating. Um, the other question we get quite a lot is how long can I wait until I open the pit? Um, especially when people are, are chomping at the bit at the minute with cattle coming into the shed with it being quite wet. How long can, can you wait? We say ideally about six weeks before you open the pit. Um, obviously, if you've used an additive, that can maybe vary a little bit, or if it's quite a dry silage, where it's not had to ferment as much. But ideally, six weeks, just to let that that fermentation stabilize in the pit. Because um, if you open it too early, you can can risk letting all that oxygen back in that you've excluded um, from the clamp and, and kind of messing up the fermentation a bit. Um, yeah, that that's all I was going to say on the set and board stocks. No, no, that's really good. That's really good. Uh, Robert and Karen, you do anything to add on forest stocks right now? The only thing I would add is the a part of this project we've developed an app to basically look at forage stocks and feed budgets. So it should be historically doing a feed budget has been a thing you've had to go in, go into the house and sit with calculator and and start working it through. But hopefully we've got a, a system now that's an awful lot quicker and easier to do. And they, certainly for me, if something's easy to do, it generally gets done. So hopefully it's it's of some use and it'll be available on the, the as part of the Farm Advisory Service, a, a, sorry, the Farm Advisory Service app a, just in the next few weeks. I, to I totally agree. If it's uh, 
if it's uh, looking complicated, folk just don't do it. So I think uh, I think the, also the message is to reiterate that it doesn't have to be complicated and it doesn't need to take too long to do. Um, and I think sometimes it's the thought of doing it that puts people off rather than actually uh, actually you know getting on and doing it. So just to give it a go. <laughs> and we also have a really quite exciting time. So for those of those people who are short of silage, we've got so many options at the moment, and that we've got a really buoyant market as well. So there's the option to, you know, we, we could, you know, increase supply, you know, you can you can spin things out, you can put more straw in or ration and things and spin it out, or you can actually sell a lot of stock. And at the moment, mm. you've got the chance to sell stock at really pretty significant values. So um, we do, doing, doing that forage budget or going through that process at this stage gives you options to actually plan your cash flow as well. Um. Okay, Mary, you've been seeing a lot of uh, analysis coming in so far this year. How how are they looking? How are they comparing to last year in terms of quality and dry matters, etc.? Yeah, the SAC lab, we've been having quite a lot more silages coming through just now with, with folk getting ready for, for rationing season. Um, so, so far, I've compared them to the same time last year just to see how the, they are comparing. Um, not a huge amount of difference between the energy and protein compared to last year. Um, very good energies in the in the silages that have analysed so far, averaging about 11.2 me. But with the caveat that a lot of these will be first cut um, dairy silages as well in there. So for, for beef and sheep, um, although they have still averaged quite high when I've pulled out the beef and sheep silages, um, Still, still quite good for energy as well. The the protein overall has averaged about twelve point seven percent crude protein, um, and for the beef and sheep silages, it's just slightly lower at eleven point nine percent. But we have seen a massive spread from as low as seven percent to as high as eighteen percent uh, crude protein. I'm talking about now, so there is a massive spread uh, across um, across the silages. The the dry matter that we've been talking about for the forage budget, it's averaged about 32% compared to last year, which was uh, more like 25%. So slightly drier this year. Um, but again, massive variation between uh, what we've seen from as low as 15% to as high as 65%. Obviously, the 65% would be your sort of big field silage. Um, but yeah, it's really important to get your analysis done and not just based them on these average figures because I could pull out any silage from that data and never get those average figures for, for <laughs> one silage. Uh, so just bear in mind that they are averages um, and can be a good guide. But um, yeah, massive variation across across what we've seen. Yeah. Uh, the, the other... Well, that is one of the things with silage kind of no such thing as an average silage it is just so variable every year like so again that's why analysis is so important exactly yeah the other interesting thing we pulled out was the silage intake potential so what you might see as sip on your analysis um has compared has been quite high compared to last year um mainly due to the higher dry matter and the good digestibility high me um Generally, we say 90 is about an average, and anything above that sort of pushes up their intakes. Uh, so this year, it's averaged 106. So that's another thing to bear in mind when you are doing your forage budget, that they might actually be eating more this year as well, um, just because their intake potential of the silage is that bit higher. Um, so just be careful if you are you know, feeding ad lib, what consequence that could have. So 
I mean, things like visually assessing your silage, is, it's a really good tool and it's something that we would do when we're out on farm, you know, doing the, the squeeze test and seeing how much um, you reckon the dry matter is uh, and looking at how leafy or stemmy it is to, to get a gauge of the energy. But I would say you can't really tell the quality just by visually assessing, so it is important to, to get it analysed and... Yeah, bang on about analysis quite a lot, but it is a uh, it's fairly easy, <laughs> but we'll we'll pay off in the long run. Yeah, no, we shouldn't we shouldn't apologise for that because it's yeah, it is pretty fundamental. So it's um you know it's well worth repeating many times. But um yeah, so it sounds like silage are fairly 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 high quality. Of course, saying that is most likely first cat dairy stuff, so it'll be you know slightly 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 better than the uh, you know the average or the average beef and sheep, but. With that in, in mind, Karen, I mean, there's quite a lot of fat. I mean, certainly at home, our cows are looking pretty pretty fit. There's there's um, plenty of fat on them and quite good silages. Um, should we be worried about feeding silage ad lib and maybe making the cows a bit too fit in the over the winter and the run up to calving? Yeah, it's, it's certainly an issue, isn't it? If uh, if cows are coming in fit for the winter and uh, and you're feeding ad lib silages that are good quality because they they will um, every day be putting on weight um, if it's fed ad lib and it's good quality. Uh, there's no doubt about that. So um, I think um, prioritising their silage to different stocks is really important. So if you um, you know you have young stock, um, you know giving them the best silage that you possibly have, and then um, maybe some lower energy silage if you've got it on the farm to, to give to cows. Um, if you, I mean, if you haven't, it's really difficult if you've not got any other option but to feed ad lib. Um, um, you know, if you can't restrict feed due to access issues, you know, if they all can't eat at once, it's very difficult to restrict um, cows' intakes. Um, I mean, you've got some options depending where you are um, with maybe diluting it with straw. If you're feeding with ring feeders, maybe alter alternating between straw and silage. For example, if you're feeding three times a week, then you can, you know, the third time in the week, maybe over the weekend, they can get a bale of straw instead of a bale of silage. But again, it's really important to make sure your silage is analysed and make sure there's enough protein in that silage to do these type of things. So I think it's it's really important to get some advice on that. Um, you know, in a fresh pair of eyes, um, you know, get a, a trusted nutritionist in to, to just have, have a look and see. Um, but I would stress that it is important to make these changes earlier on. You know, so if you are spring calving, don't make the changes at the turn of the year. If cows are too fat now, do something about it now um, and, and coming into the, to the winter. And one thing to highlight, if it's possible, is say, you know, if cows are particularly fit, the a big drain on energy is producing milk. So actually, if it fits your system, and in many cases it doesn't, but if it's possible to leave the calves on the cows at housing, you can actually peel a bit of condition off them and, you know, there's... You know, you're effectively moving condition from one side to the other. You're uh, putting high-value feed into calves, and we know that suckler cows don't produce a lot, a lot of milk at the tail end of the season. But even just a, a few liters does have a drain on energy and 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 can help to manipulate condition. Yeah, yeah. So, so in that kind of setup, would you ideally you'd have have them inside with a creep gate kind of setup, so you can supplement the calves as well as give because you don't want to leave those calves on on just same silage that there that the cows are getting you would you kind of need a creep set up there yeah, would you? i would say you do need a creep so you need you want to keep that calf moving uh, it's the one thing you've got to sell you want so you want to keep it moving and, and also that the other benefit of of that it kind of delays the it delays the weaning process it doesn't put all the stress on it just at housing time so you can actually you can house them probably if you if you can 
you know, if, if, if it's suited to keep the Cav on till maybe the turn of the year, it probably gets past the biggest pneumonia challenge in the year. Um, yeah, yeah. And and just having that a maternal bond as as seems to be very helpful uh, in in kind of boosting the immune system kind of thing or, or certainly reducing stress so uh, but yeah i think housing them without a creep i think would be certainly you're not you're not going to get the maximum out of, out of those calves you know there have to be enough access for them to have forage as well because you know so much of their intake is not from milk at that stage so um you know the danger would be that they would overload on the creep feeder so i suppose ideally in that system would be that they'd have access to an area where they're getting forage and um concentrates <laughs> um separately from yeah. their mothers but it's, it would be an individual yeah it would come down to individual farms on, on how that was managed um i think probably don't want to get to the stage where you know calves are eating you know six kilos of creep feed um while still on their mums that's that's not going to be a good a good idea i think it's a good the option is there to dilute with straw you know, often you hear about people who don't have a wagon, we can't we can't mix it in, so how do you do it? But there is quite a lot of people successfully feeding straw just at weekends. So feeding, you know, silage through the week, straw at the weekends, and it's over the week, it's, it's reducing the energy going into the cows and the system seems to work pretty well and it's, and it's quite safe. Yeah, I think yeah. I think it's important. Yeah, the, the access of of the way the silage is um, uh, is given to them as well, so that you know when you come off the straw at the weekend that you're not getting this mad rush to the silage, and you know some cows are not letting other cows in and things. So I think it really on an individual farm basis, the system needs to be carefully looked at as well. And um, that's all I would just be saying on that. Yeah, the key thing being feeding space. Really, if you're going to start yep. restricting silage, you pretty much need yep. enough headspace for all of them to feed at once. Otherwise, you'll get yeah, potentially Absolutely. get problems yeah. or, or bullying. The other mm. point would be priority groups as well. So lean cows and young cows. Yeah. So um, new, like first calved heifers and lean cows, things that have had a lameness issue, you know, all those problems should probably be grouped up in, in one, one pen that get a bit of better treatment. Uh, and then obviously extremely fat cows um, elsewhere. So, so certainly splitting based on condition and a... Uh, condition and a priority really would be of the utmost importance yeah, yeah. i would totally agree with that yeah yeah okay it's maybe worth just mentioning condition scoring as well but it's something that we can often overcomplicate when we're looking at this sort of one to five scale but really it's just by laying a hand on and, and feeling is it you know not too fat not too thin um, I think we can get a bit bogged down in it and it, it's interesting going on farm and actually putting a, through, a, a few through the crush as well and, and guessing what you think their body condition score will be and then laying a hand on and just seeing how close you are and not always by eye can you judge how it feels once you've laid a hand on um, so I think it is worth just putting a hand on a few and, and comparing to, to what you think because um, you might be quite surprised. But yeah, we, we generally say, you know, condition score two and a half, three, but really we're just looking for not too fat, not too thin. Um, I quite like the yeah. the hand guide that people talk about using, you know, your fingertips is the one where, you know, it's spiky and you're not feeling any fat cover. And well, that's a, a welfare case, really, if they're a condition score one. But 
oh, yeah. uh, and your knuckles is you know your two that it's a bit rounder the processes and you're feeling a wee bit of fat cover and then your five is like the back of your hand where you don't feel anything it's just pure fat that <laughs> you're you're feeling none of the processes and quite a handy wee thing <laughs> think about yeah handy hand, handy is where no pun intended no i i no pun intended. I've heard that as well, and I think it is a really, it is a really useful, just kind of um, quick and easy condition schooling kind of kind of method. Because, like you say, it doesn't have to be that exact. If you just sort out very fattest from the very thinnest and what's left in the middle is is a yeah. good starting point, you know. Mm. Also depends um, on what you've got shade wise available, and you know what options you have there, and just working with that. Yeah, yeah. yeah just the logistics on farm. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And also with with lean cows. Um, or with varied conditioning herds. And I think the weather we are getting in this area is just starting to, cows are fit, but the weather's starting to tell on them. And uh, I think also uh, varying the date of housing and varying the date of weaning probably is important too. So there's a lot of with fat cows that probably could, could be the last ones to come in and lean cows. And, and again, that kind of heifer group and things probably should be housed a bit earlier in the season just to... Uh, yeah. Yeah to avoid them losing too much condition at this stage keep it on their back just now and it avoids having to uh, overfeed them through yeah. the winter yeah if, if you don't let them come down too much at all then it avoids any extra feeding later on in the season which yep. is um, a nice steadier steadier way of them uh, okay robert do you want to talk a bit about strategies for shortage if you've done your analysis and you've done a bit of a feed budget and it looks like you're going to be short what what kind of things can you do to head that off at this stage yeah, so reducing demand would be the the easiest way, basically. You know, the, if you're only carrying stock that are productive and need to be there would be the, the, the first priority or the, the low-hanging fruit, if you like. So um, the most important thing I think any of us can do this, this autumn, particularly if you're worried about foreign shortages, is actually to PD cows. Uh, get them scanned and, and don't make excuses. There's no cow, an empty cow, regardless of who she is or who her mother is, isn't good enough to keep. Um, so it's really un, unjustifiable to, to hold on to an empty cow, particularly when we've got such a strong cull-cow trade. Uh, Cull-cows cull will be at record prices at the moment and take advantage of that. So if you've got empty cows, um, get them down the road and that, that does dramatically reduce that uh, burden of maintenance on your business uh, and then likewise um, suckled calves and things as well are, are also an option um, and is there an option also trading uh, breeding stocks good value as well so is there an option to sell uh, later later calves or, or uh, cows that are going to calve later on in the system if you're going to be short you know is that another option to uh, to yeah, cows, cows which have slipped for you might be just right for somebody else. And if yep. there's a reasonable trade, then why not just move them on when there's um, good yep. money in them if you're short? Yeah. Um, Karen, do you want to give us a bit of an update on the feed market and what's available right now and what's looking good value moving ahead this winter? Yeah, no bother, no bother. Um, I think I do need to be a bit careful on this because uh, the feed market is always changing. Um, but I'll just uh, talk about the general sort of trends um, for energy feeds. So your starches and your fibres, um, 
you know, as far as starches are concerned, barley locally bought will be the best value for money. Um, it's perhaps not as cheap as we'd hope for for feeding, um, but compared to wheat, biscuit meal and maize, I think it's probably the, the number one uh, um, energy or starch um, source to go for. Um, wheat's looking particularly expensive and um, bread waste is, is all sold out. Um, and I think for barley as well, there's so many um, treatment options available now, you know, for moist barley and, and moist barley might be something that we have a lot of this year. Um, and I think, uh, you know, generally speaking, so, if you, you know, if this uh, urea type treatments is um, uh, prop corning and these are all sort of better for palatability and rumen health compared to dry, dusty barley that can often be over processed. So um, I think um, plenty of options out there for, for barley. Um, on the fibre side, like the beet pulp um, is looking really expensive and um, unfortunately there's uh, been some issues in um, beet pulp in England um, with a, a virus, yellow as it's called, and um, this is when the leaf turns yellow and affects photosynthesis and um, has affect yields of, of beet pulp. Um, this year, so the, the prices remained a, a, a bit higher than than or in the upper end of expectation um, due to this, um, but also it's, it's based on the wheat price and um, and the other prices that are uh, going on, like imported beet pulp. So, uh, looking pretty pretty dear on that side. But a, a, a substitute for that would be soya hulls, which are at a twenty to twenty five pound discount and a good replacement if additional fibres required. Um, on the protein side of things, um, proteins are, are on the rise. I would see and most big users um, will have booked their protein requirements for the winter months already. Um, I mean, soya and rape I think are probably the best value per unit of protein, um, but there's many factors that will affect the, the, the prices, you know, including currency, the weather, how crops are faring um, around the world and world demand, and that's that's always changing. Um, the currency is a huge factor with uh, soya um, uh, here as well. So it's not often as straightforward as politics and supply and premiums for specific um, uh, areas of origin and such like. Um, domestic supply of our distillers' dark grains which we would traditionally sort of rely on for um, protein um, are, are, are limited. Um, and I think with coronavirus, with the uh, um, distilleries being closed for a while, um, you know, there, a lot of these are just getting back on supply again. And they often have um, closures at Christmas time, you know, for maintenance and for holidays and such like too. So I think... Um, it's really worth um, uh, getting in touch with your supplier sooner rather than later for proteins. And it's also worth shopping around because different um, uh, companies will have different levels of, um, of, of stock. Um, there's a good supply of imported wheat dark grain pellets and also the option of bioethanol dark grain pellets from the Insys uh, bioethanol plant in Teesside. Um, the only warning with, with this one is that it can be it's a meal and it's, uh, um, it can be a mixture of wheat and maize and they often change to maize when um, uh, you know, the price for maize is more favourable because you get a better ethanol yield uh, using maize compared to wheat. Um, but it does uh, reduce the protein of, of the meal by around 3% going from um, wheat to maize. Um, and the molasses markets, the liquid markets, remains firm. There might be a, a, some discount in the winter, um, but there's also been a wee bit of disruption on supply from, from COVID and also Australian bushfires has actually um, had an impact there. But my main advice would say would be that prices are not dissimilar to last year for feeds, but straights um, if they were bought early um, you know that's been a great advantage but my advice would be you know cover needs sooner rather than later um, and, and don't hold off because it'll just be an additional expense so keep in touch with suppliers and and, and take cover and um, I think I think sooner rather than later is the, the, the key message there. Yeah. Yeah, that ties in with what we've been saying as well, to analyse forage and make a budget and know what additional 
protein or energy you'll need sooner rather than later too. So yeah. 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 Um complete feeds. Um Jonah tell us a wee bit about what to look out look for when you're buying a complete natter pellet um as opposed to straights, Karen. Yeah, yeah. Um I mean if you're if you're buying if you're buying a complete feed if that's more convenient for you, it's you know, there's obviously lots of convenience aspects about that. There's you know, for helping with storage and minerals that are included and such like, but always aim for, you know, as good quality ingredients that you can, um and make sure the mineral requirements of that compound are suiting the needs of the cattle as well. So, you know, if you're only feeding um, you know, one or two kilos of a compound, make sure there's enough minerals in there to to um meet the needs. But um I would also say that uh, knowing your forage and what you have on the farm at home is vital for what you're going to be buying. Um, because if, if you don't know what you've got at home, you know, you don't know the protein of your silage, the any of your silage, um, you know, the, the feed that you buy to complement that, um, the, the quantity and the quality of that might change. So, um, you know, if your silage is low in protein, you might need a higher protein supplement um, or vice versa. Um, and I think it's really important to um, just get that idea of what you've got at home so you're not buying in too much and buying in the wrong thing so looking just based on you know basically at price is not going to be um cost effective for you in the long run um look at the ingredients and look at what you're buying ask questions and um and and you know get nutritional advice um on on the whole ration i would also say just when you're when you're looking at the ingredients list as well that they go in descending order um and having a look at where the molasses is in the ingredients is quite helpful because it's usually in at about two to five percent so you'll know that anything after molasses on the label is probably there in trace amounts so it tends to be your vitamins and, and things would come after that but if you see something like soya or uh, bypass soya that's in after your molasses you'll know it's not really in there at high quantities it's just a, a token amount really um so just something to look out for yeah yeah when you're looking at buying and feed scan as well what do you need to look out for with the mineral requirements for for the different classes of stock yeah that's a good question um i think what you know, when you're buying a complete feed, they can be either mineralized or unmineralized. And I think it's really important to ask the question, you know, what the levels of minerals are in at and what the expected feed rate is to be. So, you know, um, say a 400 kilo steer might get its full requirement of minerals um, to complement your silage um, with three or four kilos of cake. Um, if you're only needing to feed one kilo of cake, then you might need to... Um, supplement but also if you're feeding rations that are high in straw for example there's going to be a lot less um uh, minerals from straw than there is from silage um so in particular with cows i think um you know they're on straw rations really need to take care of the mineral side of things here um we did uh um carried out a, a knowledge transfer innovation fund project um on suckler cow um uh, looking at suckler cow blood levels and, and rations prior to calving and it, it was quite apparent that some farms um you know were feeding general purpose minerals or minerals that weren't quite high enough in, in magnesium for example so finding out the pre-calving period but throughout the winter period um make sure that the cows are actually getting a, a, a mineral suitable for suckler cows um, and suitable for the ration that they're on whether it's straw or whether it's silage okay. i think another thing to highlight on minerals is it's become quite fashionable again and it's a, a, a good thing to do is to bolus cows yeah. um, but you need to keep in mind that an oversupply of minerals can be every bit as bad as an undersupply so if you are bolusing cows be aware of that and try and take some kind of 
steps to alter or, or, or certainly evaluate what your overall mineral system is, including that bolus as well? Yeah, I think with a bolus too, yeah. you're only supplying um, certain trace elements. You're not giving key major minerals such as calcium, phosphorus, um, magnesium. Um, and I think it can be quite, yeah, as you said, it's quite easy to overdo these things um, and, and as a costly exercise as well, if it's not going to be having uh, any benefit. Yeah. I think I think people do often forget to account for their boluses when they're then rationing. They view the bolus almost like a, a medicine and then forget about it when it comes yep. to uh, the rationing side of things, which is e easily done, yeah, like you say, costly as well. It's, um, it's a really good okay. discussion to have with your nutritionist or your vet. Just mm -hmm. you know, run it past them and, and see what, what the implications could be or, or, and, and particularly what the cost savings could be as well. Yeah, so I, th I think particularly with cattle, if there's unless there's a a, a, a proven problem with trace elements, um, then you know normal powdered minerals um, given daily um, should be absolutely adequate. Um, so I think it's it's worth yeah having that discussion with a vet and nutritionist just to make sure you are making the most cost-effective options um, uh, for your herd. Yeah. Also, um, when you get licks and buckets as well, certainly in my opinion is they can be quite variable in the intake. And I think people maybe forget about that to some extent too, or view it as a kind of insurance that the cows will take yeah. some minerals from that. But it is quite variable. You know, some cows could be taking double what some are having. And, uh, you know, it, throw, it throws off your calculations, potentially is, is my view in it, which is something to be aware of as well. Absolutely. <laughs> Okay, Karen, and, and if you're wanting to look up a bit more on this, is there any more resources people could find on the website at all? Yes, uh, on the FAS website, there is a, a mineral um, fact sheet as well, which will help um, uh, knowledge and make decisions on uh, purchasing minerals. Um, and also there's a, a forage um, fact sheet as well, which has some templates of doing uh, forage budgeting. But um, as Robert said earlier, the app will be coming out shortly, but the forage budgeting fact sheet is also a useful um, piece of kit too. Okay, thank you. Okay, uh, thanks Mary, Robert and Karen, that's all very informative. Um, if we'd like to just close the podcast by, you could, uh, you could each give us two top tips for everybody who's just thinking about um, forage budgeting and their, their winter feed. Um, Robert, do you want to go first? Hey, so yeah, my two, I think, are get your cows PD'd and don't carry any passengers through the winter. And with that, take advantage of good market prices. We're getting exceptional value for what we're selling. And uh, I think don't be shy to make use of the market and reduce demand on forage. Okay. Thank you, Robert. Karen? Um, I think my two top tips would be, the first one would be, Take some action now, plan now, and um, it's easier than you think um, to do to do a forage budget. Um, so, so start early. And my second top tip would be keep in touch with um, suppliers and don't be afraid to ask questions um, about feeds and um, and get all the information you need to make the most of what you've got on farm. Okay, thank you, Mary. Yeah, I would say top tips would be getting your forage analysed, um, making use of that forage analysis as well. Don't put it in the back pocket. Um, use it, use it for your feed budget, use it for your rations. Um, and secondly, just, yeah, as Karen was saying, it's, it's an easy thing to do, your forage budget, get out and measure the pit, weigh the bales um, and get a, a guide on what your bales weigh and, and put it into your forage budget and yeah, tailor it to your farm. 
Okie dokes, thank you. Well, thank you all for your time. That was uh, very informative and very helpful, I think, for people who are thinking about winter feeding now.